This episode is brought to you by AARP. 18 years from tonight, Grant Gill will become a comedy legend when he totally kills it at his improv class's graduation performance. Knees will be slapped. Hilarity will ensue. That's why he's already keeping himself in shape and razor sharp today with wellness tips and tools from AARP to help make sure his health lives as long as he does. Because the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash healthy living. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace makes beautiful products to help people with creative ideas succeed. You can turn your cool idea to a new website. You can publish content. You can sell products and services. You can promote your business. You can announce an upcoming project. Any way you want to showcase your work, you can make it with Squarespace. Squarespace empowers millions of people from individuals and local artists to entrepreneurs shaping the world's most iconic businesses while they sit before Senate committees to share their stories and create an impactful, stylish, and easy-to-manage online presence. Squarespace strives for excellence with beautiful templates created by world-class designers, powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online, and analytics that help you grow in real time. How would you grow in 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 not real time? I don't know. With 24-7 award-winning customer service, there's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. Check out squarespace.com slash convos for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code convos to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That is squarespace.com slash convos. And use the offer code convos to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A dream is just a great idea that doesn't have a website yet. Make it a reality. (laughs) I think you shortchanged that line, Tommy. A dream... It's just a great idea that doesn't have a website yet. I think that's how it was meant to be read. Make it a reality with Squarespace. Squarespace. (laughs) Hi, I'm Erin Ryan, and you're listening to Crooked Conversations. Our guest today, Dr. Caroline Weinberg, is one of the organizers of the March for Science, which is occurring on April 14th this year in a bunch of cities all around the world. I was interested in talking to Caroline because we have currently in power a lot of people who are really hostile to scientific facts that affect people's lives and affect people's health and affect, you know, our country as a whole. So let's talk to Caroline. Let's just get right to it, Caroline. Um, What is the March for Science and how did you become involved with it? So the March for Science is a um, organization and movement that focuses on advocating for equitable evidence-based policies that serve all people. Um, And it got started last year, um, January 24th, I think it went viral. Um, And it just was a bunch of people on social media in a number of different places um, kind of having a conversation about the fact that we needed to mobilize around science and evidence-based policy. And um, then everyone just kind of ended up in the same conversation and it took off. And uh, I happened to be off work the morning that it went viral and kind of found myself in the middle of it with a bunch of other people and uh, just kind of spiraled from there. Wow. So you accidentally went viral. It's so funny how people devote their their entire, there are people whose job it is to make things go viral and you accidentally went viral. I think that speaks to how important this cause is right now and how 
concerned people were after the inauguration last year? Like, what happened? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that Trump kind of has established himself as kind of anti-science, anti-facts that don't originate from his own head. (laughs) Um, But what specifically, as as a doctor, as somebody who's worked in public health, concerned you about the Trump administration as it was kind of getting its legs? So um, while the while the march kind of uh, was organized in response to what, what we were concerned would be a kind of more dramatic anti-science stance coming with the new administration, the truth is, is that the anti-science policies that we're worried about now have been around for a while. I mean, the Climate change mm-hmm. deniers have been in office for years. Um, there have been attacks on on healthcare and the environment, and you know evidence being rejected and decisions around infrastructure. This has been around for a while, um, and it just kind mm-hmm. of uh, has come to a boiling point. For me, it actually didn't have anything to do with health. I was talking with a friend of mine whose friend works um, for the agriculture department, specifically around communicating climate change research. Like that's her job is to talk about climate change to the public, and. And she got a um, memo from the new administration saying that she could no longer do that. And I got very upset about it. <laughs> and uh, it kind of and, and went on the Internet and, you know, to all of my like 150 Twitter followers was like, we should march for science. And uh, then kind of completely coincidentally, it took off. It wasn't my tweet. It just I happened to be part of it when it happened. Right. You kind of plugged into the zeitgeist exactly. at, the, at the moment. Because it. Because it seems like, you know, in addition to the the climate change stuff, I mean, I know you worked in public health and reproductive health. I think one thing that's really interesting is that the March for Science brings together things that you don't usually see talked about in the same conversation. Like a lot of times I've seen reproductive health kind of siloed off from a general conversation about evidence-based science being something that should be central to governmental policy. Um, So I, I just would love to hear your thoughts on how reproductive health and public health issues uh, have informed the the purpose of the march and, and how many people who are involved in the march are people concerned about those things? Um, so we've, one of the really cool things that we've done, I think, is, is and it's been, it was kind of a, we had an amazing uh, team working on on partnerships both when the when the march took off and now is bring together this really unique coalition of people who like aren't usually in the room together so bringing together you know firefighters and science teachers and biologists and doctors and and just kind of and farmers just everyone together and it's wow, been it sounds like a really like crazy village people of, of <laughs> really like, <is. laughs> like sesame street who are the people in the neighborhood they're all coming together for science exactly <laughs> we're hosting a summit in july and i'm really excited to have all those people like literally in the same room having a conversation um it's gonna oh, that's be great yeah no it's gonna be really cool anyway um so what's been really interesting is that the um is I kind of find it find it constantly surprising like who signs on to our um, different like movements around different advocacy aspects because you never think about how different parts of science affect so many different fields. So um, we're in the we haven't started really our focus on um, on like reproductive health yet, but actually uh, at HHS now the person in charge is a noted um, abstinence only sex education advocate, which um, should not be a thing. <laughs> and um, and so we're we're yeah. getting we're getting started to get involved, kind of in in advocating around that. I mean, I think that it's one of the issues that, along with things like evolution in school, have been allowed to be kind of miss. Um, 
it's like been turned into a partisan thing that people then tie religion into and politics and culture and upbringing and all of these different things and just kind of ignore the mm -hmm. fact that there's a ton of science behind the fact that abstinence education is completely right. ridiculous. So um, uh, that for I mean, for me personally, as you said, because that's my background is like a huge cause that I'm that I'm interested in mobilizing around. And I think it's going to be um, really interesting what organizations kind of come to the forefront. We find every time we do a different um, advocacy initiative, organizations that we weren't partnered with or that I didn't even know existed <laughs> kind of come out and are like, we're, we're pro-science, we want to be a part of this. And so um, taking mm -hmm. on, I think, reproductive health education, I'm, I'm excited to see who gets on board with that. Yeah, that's really exciting. I always thought that abstinence-only sex education was sort of like, you know, if you had abstinence-only being an acceptable position in any other discipline, it would just be, like, patently absurd. Like, if there were well, an abstinence-only fire... Right, like an abstinence-only fireman who was like, well, you shouldn't have lit the fire in the first place. He just, like, stands outside of houses and is like, well, you shouldn't have lit it. And Shakes his finger. about the fact that there's... Right, that there's a fire. <laughs> he just sits there and watches it and is like, well guess you shouldn't be playing with matches. <laughs> so let's go back to the March last year. You said it got way bigger than you anticipated it being when you were first talking about it. Um, how did it actually look on the day of the March? Okay, sure. So the day of the March, um, it it started in Australia because we were all over the world. So it was in 600 different cities, including the North Pole and under the sea. Um, and there were altogether more than a million people who marched um, physically and then uh, hundreds of thousands more who streamed it live. And then there were five penguins who marched at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. And um, last year, it was just an incredible force of people coming together in kind of support of science. And people, mm -hmm. a lot of people did the kind of traditional um, rally march setup. And um, mm -hmm. it just was, it was an absolutely incredible day. And it's been really interesting seeing how it's evolving because this year, I mean, we're doing a rally in March in D.C. And I know there are a number of other cities doing that too, but other cities kind of, uh, thought about what made the most sense for their communities and have pivoted to doing the kind of advocacy and outreach event that makes the most sense for them. And so it's been cool mm -hmm. having, you know, the term March <laughs> evolve to all of these different things. So um, I'm excited right. to see what it looks like this year. That's great. Um, let's go back to the penguins, though. I'm very intrigued <laughs> by the marching penguins. How did penguins get involved with the March for Science? And what are their views on other political topics? <laughs> um, I like to think that they're pro-science in general. Um, I think they're against yeah. climate change. They um, So one of our partners, um, who was brought on actually by our one of our co-directors of partnership, um, last year, Ayanna Johnson, um, was the Monterey Bay Aquarium. We had this, as, as part of this incredible coalition that we had, there were um, also uh, museums and aquariums and zoos and kind of all of the places where people connect with science. And the Monterey Bay Aquarium, who are um, I mean, my, now my favorite people because of this, um, just had penguins march through the path of, through the halls of the aquarium and there's um, pictures of people like holding signs as the penguins walk by. You should watch it on YouTube. It's really <laughs> it's really worth watching. Uh, I've seen it like 30 times. As soon as this interview is over, I'm that's literally the first thing I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm not even going to I'm not even going to take my headphones off. I'm just going to I'm just going to go to YouTube and watch these penguins march for science. I mean, that's really excellent. Should. And you know, the Monterey yeah, I mean, it's it sounds incredible. You know, the Monterey Bay Aquarium, and I, I think it's interesting that you bring up like zoos and uh, aquariums as places that people encounter science because it sounds like they're really important advocates 
for uh, the sort of causes that the March for Science advocates. Yeah, um, it's been they they do a lot of a lot of amazing work. It's actually one of the um, we did a survey of. Uh, of our supporters on um, from our mailing list and on social media, and the two issues that they were most concerned about um, were pretty much overwhelmingly was climate change was one of them. Like ninety five percent of people were um, listed climate change as their number one issue. I guess it's not surprising because like climate change is kind of affecting everyone right now. Um, and the second, including the penguins, and the second one um, was <laughs> conservation. Which is obviously like a big part of mm-hmm. what um, zoos and aquariums do. So uh, I think they're they're a really important part of kind of the the narrative around science advocacy that we're telling and how we um, give people the tools to advocate for what's important to them. I'm Erin Ryan, and we will keep talking to Dr. Caroline Weinberg after the break. Great conversations brought to you by Quip. If you're a person with a mouth, and we both are. We, that, that's two people here with mouths. It's likely that you don't brush your teeth for a full two minutes. It's likely you don't change your brush on time. It's likely you don't brush twice a day. Quip gets all that, okay? They get you. So they designed the perfect electric toothbrush to solve these problems. Quip is a new electronic toothbrush that packs just the right amount of vibrations into a slimmer design at a fraction of the cost the bulkier traditional electric brushes. Oh, amazing. We were amazing. We were able to say that without making any kind of joke. It's nice to just not be harassed during the quip ad. <laughs> just, just just take just, a minute and just, just breathe just, and it's a, it's nice to just you're like friends who don't you know who, you know who just who are adult enough to, to read, read an ad, ad for an electric about toothbrush. guiding pulses that alert you when to switch sides, making brushing the right amount of effortless. That's right. Nothing funny about that. Quip also comes with the mount that suctions right onto your mirror. Again, that seems very straightforward. It unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel anywhere, even in unhygienic places like some of the folks we go on our touring. Uh, they are... <laughs> some of the folks. Uh, and because the thing that cleans your mouth should also be clean, Quip subscription plan refreshes your brush on a dentist-recommended schedule, delivering new brush heads every three months for just five bucks, including free shipping worldwide. John, Quip is backed by a network of over 10,000 dental pros. I didn't even know there were that many dental pros out there. <laughs> That's a lot. Dentists, hygienists, dental students, get the CFL. Dental, and dental enthusiasts. <laughs> Just dental fans. Most toothbrushes don't get named one of Time Magazine's best inventions of the year. Quip does. Quip, Quip did. Does. Actually, Quip was featured on the cover of Time Magazine, which is why Donald Trump doesn't use it anymore. He got <laughs> jealous of his toothbrush. Find out for yourself why. Quip starts just 25 bucks, and if you go to getquip.com slash crookedconvos right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electronic toothbrush. That is your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash crookedconvos, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash crookedconvos. It'll be love at first brush. Wow, that's great. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 18 years from tonight, Grant Gill will become a comedy legend. When he totally kills it at his improv class's graduation performance, knees will be slapped. Hilarity will ensue. That's why he's already keeping himself in shape and razor sharp today with wellness tips and tools from AARP to help make sure his health lives as long as he does. Because the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org healthy living. Cool, cool, 
so it sounds like a lot of people have kind of woke up to the cause of, of advocating for science in a world that seems I like to, think to so. try to want to politicize facts. Um, so what's what's coming up this year? Like, are there any any new things that you are aware of that are going to happen in the march that you're really excited about? Um, in like on on March Day or looking into the future. Or both, I guess. I think on March Day, that's the that's the fourteenth. Yeah, so that's that's coming April fourteenth. Right okay, so on on, on April fourteenth, in, <laughs> in all the different places where it's happening, um, what are some what are some new sites? What are some new groups that are involved? Uh, are there any new maybe otters marching? Like what what sort of things are you are you <laughs> particularly? I forgot so, you have uh, a thing about otters. Um, we I do have a thing about otters. <laughs> also, Caroline and I have known each other for years, so this conversation <laughs> is between two people who are friends and neighbors back in New York City and. I can't wait to see her when I get back. So anyway, continue you on. Betrayed us by leaving. Um, anyway. I know. The, so I do have to work on there being other animals involved. But at the moment, as far as I know, it's just human beings. And um, one of the things that I'm excited about this year is that uh, last year was like a huge, you know, full force of people coming out um, in support of science. And this year we're really directing that energy towards advocacy. So there's going to be like in D.C. and in other cities. There's letter writing campaigns. We have these live advocacy um initiatives where you can like text a number, text a word to a number and it takes you to kind of sign a petition or send an email to your rep, which um, is really mm-hmm. cool and is going to be just a great way to make it not just a day of marching, but a day of really like full force advocacy where, where change is happening and that's going to be happening all over the country. I think the um, kind of the punchline of all of this is that um, marching is really important because it, sh- it puts a public face on advocacy in a way that like signing a petition, it's hard to picture, you know, 10,000 people together Mm -hmm. with a petition, but seeing them actually there, you can, it's easier to conceptualize, but we, but it's about kind of more than one day. And so this is like a kickoff of leading everything forward um, and continuing it so that people don't, you know, people can't, it can't be your one day of advocacy. can't be like March day or voting or voting day, losing my mind, election day. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so this is kind of like a kickoff to people to like a full day of advocacy that then is going to continue. Sure. Um, One thing that I think a lot about lately, and I think other people probably feel the same, is this, since Trump's inauguration, since Trump's election, a lot of people have have woke up uh, in, and they all have different areas that are they're concerned about. And there have been, you know, the Women's March and March for Our Lives, and there have been just other marches. Do you worry at all that people are getting march fatigue, or do you find these sort of public displays of advocacy to be something that is invigorating for the people who participate in them, even if they're doing a bunch over and over again? Um, I think it's. Inv- I think. Th- I think it's both. I think you do get advocacy fatigue because it's kind of a because sometimes you feel like you're just not making the progress that you want to be taking and making and so it's disheartening and b there's just there's so many things happening that are worth fighting for that it's very hard to kind of like pick and choose what you're going to advocate around but Mm -hmm. i do think that these i mean the fact that they continue to be so big is evidence that they have power and should continue i mean people are uh there is a is a power to kind of being with a large group of people who are all shouting about the same thing you are that you don't really Mm -hmm. get in any other setting than being outside in a march. 
Um, so, yeah. so I do, you know, I do worry about that fatigue, and I think that that's part of why people tend to mobilize around um, when something like really egregious happens, rather than around like little things. You know, like you have to like store up your your energy and rage for a really big situation. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that figuring out how to channel that so that people are are advocates, even when it's not something that's kind of inflaming them, but also balance the fact that. Um, that people do get do get overwhelmed uh, is is kind of something that advocacy organizations and movements in general are going to need to reconcile because it doesn't seem like this constant wave of advocacy and the need for motivation for it is going anywhere anytime soon, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's interesting. And this is more of a general question just about marches and advocacy in general. I, I've noticed that when I've gone to events that have been uh, kind of advocacy consciousness raising or, you know, protests, I've noticed that they've almost served a function. They've all been nonviolent. Nobody ever gets arrested at these. I have found that they uh, they serve a sort of almost community purpose. Like, you know, so people who are at these marches, people who are at the March for Science this weekend and, you know, people who are, you know, at, who go to the Women's March and people who are at March for Our Lives, it almost feels like they wanted to just be in a place where there are other people that they knew felt the same way that they felt. And it felt like a place of community almost in in a way. And I wonder if you've felt that as well, or if, if that's maybe a way for organizers to reposition um, march fatigue or whatever. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that's a way for organizers to reposition it as like more community building and, and sort of showing our strength. Yeah. I mean, I, one of the, one of the, uh, One of the kind of conversations that I constantly go back to when I think about this is I was having a conversation um, with uh, an organizer from Mobile, Alabama, and she was saying that that one of the most powerful things about the march is that sometimes you – and this is – it's not just true in towns like Mobile, Alabama. It's in New York City too. I mean it's everywhere. Like sometimes you feel like you're the only one shouting about something because like you feel so Mm -hmm. passionate to be about like does anyone have your back on how serious an issue this is? And she was saying that having all these people come out around it was – showed that like there are people in this community who care about it too. And I think that's really important is putting a face on the fact that like sometimes you are having these conversations with your – you know, you like I before before I got involved with the march, I would I would rant about these science things to my friends who were like other um, who were scientists and kind of and sometimes you would idly wonder like do do other people are other people as disturbed as I am right now, and um, mm-hmm. and having seeing people like all together in a march is like a real community building experience in that like seeing that there are other people who share your concern and who are willing to take the streets over it is is really amazing and and is a way especially in smaller communities of of building that strength and having that relationship i mean my it's i think i should know the statistics offhand but i think something like 75 percent of our marches last year were less than a thousand people and a large percentage of them were like Mm. 200 people and that's those photographs aren't as impressive as like a huge you know hundred thousand person crowd shot but the power of that in building a community of local advocacy and local science support is just is unbelievable so I do think that the that what mm-hmm. you're saying with the community building is a is a vitally important part of all of this advocacy yeah and I think uh, you know the flip side of that is the people who would actively try to undermine science or undermine women's rights or undermine gun control also, at the same time, see 
that these people are serious and they're organized and they're together and they will be a pain in the ass um, <laughs> if, if, you know, any more funny business is tried. I, I wanted to talk really quickly about um, what since Trump's inauguration, and I know every week feels like a million years now, but <laughs> what can you recall as being, as somebody who is passionate about, about science advocacy, what, are there any things that are particularly worse than the other normal events of the Trump administration? What are the most disheartening things that have happened since we've had Trump as a president? Um, not all of them have actually been at all related to kind of the federal government. There's a lot of stuff happening state and local that um, has okay. been equally disturbing. But I would say that one of the things that still shocks me the most, even though it was a while ago and it seems kind of not a big deal, um, was pulling out of the Paris Climate Agreement, which was like mm -hmm. something that the entire world was supporting and um, was just such a I don't know. It just that that one still really gets me just because um, while it doesn't have the same kind of immediacy of impact, it's just to me so indicative of the idea of doing something anti-science just for the sake of doing something anti-science. And um, that yeah. still that it's still really upsets libs. me. Like, um, but the, right. I mean, the current one that's most disturbing is, I think, um, the fact that Scott Pruitt just um, basically took over sole control over decision making around the Clean Water Act which is the kind of thing mm -hmm. that's supposed to prevent, like, Flint, which obviously is still a major issue and no one seems to be paying attention to anymore, unfortunately. So um, that right. that one's pretty terrifying, and I'm um, kind of uh, a little horrified to see where it goes next. Yeah, I mean, even apart from all of his uh, environmental molestation, uh, <laughs> Scott Pruitt is, is extremely corrupt, too. So it's like not only is he hurting the environment, he's kind of, like, you know, using the government as his own personal coffers, <laughs> paying his friends for jobs where they don't have to show up to work. And it's, he's been embattled for a while, but President Trump likes him because he's rolling back things. Um, it's funny that you put it that way because I take it as the flip, which is that I'm like, OK, the corruption oh. is bad. But like there's so much bad science stuff that he's been doing for the last year <laughs> that like uh -huh. this is well, kind think, of to me. I, I think it's. I tend to fall on the science side as well, but I think it's a lot easier to sell somebody on getting mad about this princess totally. man who's flying to Morocco first yeah. class. Like it's really like it's really easy to drum up and eat the rich feeling in people. It's a little bit more difficult to drum up a like shame the polluters thing. Yeah. You know, Captain Planet hasn't been on for quite a while. <laughs> Dude, um but we need so, Captain Planet back. But you know, I know, I know. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Like the toxic crusaders are running the EPA. <laughs> like they're they're when our anyway. powers combined. But you know, here's I know. Well, I don't know which one I would be. I think I would be Earth. I think I would be Earth. But anyway, <laughs> we can talk about that more offline. Um, I I wanted to 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 ask you though. You know, I know there's a lot of grim stuff going on when it comes to what's happening at the EPA and the Clean Water Act, uh, public health and HHS and and like advocacy or uh, abstinence only education and and a general nationwide hostility to reproductive. Uh, rights for women. You notice um, that? But are there any things? Yeah, it's it's pretty bad, Caroline. It's getting <laughs> pretty bad. Um, but I but I'm sure that among all the muck, you've been able to pick out little glimmers of hope. What are those for you? Um, so 
Well, one of the one of the glimmers of hope is the fact that there have been so many marches and and advocacy efforts. Like just the fact that people are energized has been has given me hope that um, that people will kind of keep shouting until. Because sometimes you wonder if if people will make a big fuss and then nothing happens and they're like, okay, I guess we won't try that again. But that doesn't seem to be the case. People continue to be energized, and that I find really encouraging. But I would say that in terms of like other things, we have. Um, there have been like some victories just around things that we've mobilized around, like the grad tax got repealed. Um, there were two aggressively anti-science people, um, uh, Sam Clovis and uh, Kathleen Hartnett White, who were up for science positions who didn't end up um, being appointed in part due to advocacy around it. But then most recently, like the new bill had one of the largest increases in science funding in the last decade. And that was really encouraging mm -hmm. because the presidential budget that was proposed dramatically cut funding and Congress um, raised it, which was uh, which was really um, encouraging and is, is a trend that I hope continues. There are obviously a lot of other issues around the budget, but um, they, they really did right by science funding, which was um, which was exciting to see. Yeah, I mean, it is weird that the president hates science, but he loves space. <laughs> well, space is really cool. Who doesn't space. want to go to space? <laughs> yeah, but so is science in general. Space <laughs> is science, and science is space. Like, come on. You know, I, I think the advocacy thing that you're, you know, just thinking about all the marches and you saying that people are kind of not relenting and not giving up is really interesting and reminded me of how, you know, as a young adult, I learned how to argue my way into, you know, getting people to knock something off of like my airplane ticket price. You just have to keep staying on the phone and asking for the manager. And I think that, I think that's like what uh, what people who are protesting are doing. They've learned to just stick around and be a pain in the ass and not be afraid to be annoying and not be not be afraid to make people mad and not be afraid to stand up for what they think. Like this is not the time to be polite. I no. think. And, and I think everybody sort of realized it all at once. Um, <laughs> it's funny because my... Oh, sorry. Who, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say it's funny because my grandfather very disparagingly told me I was being a pain in the ass when I got involved with organizing the march, but he didn't mean it as a good thing. <laughs> but it's true that, you know, being that agitating like that and reminding people that you're constantly going to be holding them accountable and, and not let them forget it is, um, right. is important. Like we had someone sent an email saying that there, um, one of our emails was uh, like a response email is basically like we're we're paying attention to your science policies. I'm planning on the like I'm planning on voting in November, and like I'm going to remember what you do around this. And and a yeah. whoever the legislator that they wrote to was wrote back being like this feels like a threat. And I was like, is it really a threat when your constituents say that they're paying attention to what you do and are going to vote along those lines? <laughs> like that shouldn't be a threat. That yeah. should be like okay, great, I'm accountable to you. Sounds good. So um, so I do that's, think that we're, we're getting through to people. That's great. That's really exciting. Um, how can people get involved in the March for Science if they're interested in getting involved on the 14th or beyond? So on the 14th, um, there's marches in, I think it's like currently 230 um, places around the world, which is really exciting. So uh, we're delighted to have anyone who wants to come to D.C., but there's also local places happening, um, local marches happening all over the world. So um, definitely go somewhere. Um, and then also there's, even if you can't make it out to the march, we'll be live streaming the D.C. one and also making all of the um, advocacy initiatives that we do on the mall are going to be available online. So, um, so definitely get involved that way day of. 
marchforscience.com is where you can find all this information. It feels weird to plug that, but yes. Um, and then post-March, like we're turning our attention really to the fact that it's not – that the March for Science isn't about one day. So it uh, it's, it's not about March Day. It's not about Election Day. It's about year-round advocacy. So we've put together guides for um, people planning like events in their community to start conversations around science and society and science and policy and breaking down, you know, barriers between scientists and their communities. And um, just to kind of help people understand that there is uh, – you don't need to be a professional organizer to run an event and you don't need to um, – you know, you don't need to commit your life. <laughs> it's just like there are ways to, to run these events and to empower everyone to be an organizer in their community. And so we're – you know, we have like a calendar of events where there's things happening in people's community and anyone can add it and just um, just you know mobilizing and, and doing what you can to, to bring your community into the fold and it's you know it takes like two and a half minutes to send an email to your representative or your legislators legislators so um, you know set aside that two and a half minutes once a week to send an email that says you know I care about science and I'm paying attention um, or yeah. or whatever cause you feel passionate about I think is um, is something that people really need to start getting in the habit of. Um, that mm -hmm. I'm that I'm hoping will shift. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be a scientist to care about science. Oh, either. I'm sure most of only I'm sure a lot of people who show up are not. According to our surveys, and there's I mean there's you know obviously there's bias depending on who you survey, but it, what, what we found online was that less than thirty percent of the people who um, said they were going to march identified as scientists, which is huge. I mean it's and most of our organizations are not scientific societies. They're they're other organizations, and it's it just I mean science is it affects everyone <laughs> whether or not you want to. What's, I think it's like Neil deGrasse Tyson quote where like, science is real whether you believe it or not. And it's true. And mm -hmm. um, and it's just – I think that, that bringing together this like redefining the scientific community to be inclusive of not just scientists but everyone who feels passionately about science's role in policy and in general um, has been I think a really uh, powerful thing that we've uh, done and continue to do. Well, this is all very exciting, and best of luck on the 14th, and I hope there are more penguins. Dr. <laughs> Caroline Weinberg, thank you. Thank you, thank you for joining me today. And uh, those of you out there, uh, uh, thank you for listening. Thanks. That was Dr. Caroline Weinberg, one of the organizers of this year's March for Science, which is taking place on April 14th in cities all around the world. I'm Erin Ryan, and this was A Crooked Conversation.